Bet you wish you were here. All right, guys, welcome back to my podcast. With your host, Ty Kiki. Sorry, guys, I'm just doing the um, the kind of wacky voice thing again there just to settle everyone down. And uh, I think it's probably having the opposite effect. This episode's about whales, right? So what about this for a segue? Because it involves a Welshman, right? I was actually thinking there, as I was doing the wacky voice, I was like, oh, this now is going to be like when Roy Keane rang Robbie Savage to see if he might be interested in coming up to the club. I think Sunderland, he was trying to sign him for Sunderland or maybe Ipswich at the time. And Robbie Savage's voicemail was, uh, what's up? When he rang. So I think Keane just hung up the phone and was like, nah, I don't want him at all. So I was just thinking, would people be listening to this now, hear the wacky voice? voice at the start and I'm like I'm not interested in a wacky voice thing at all and then turn it off that's a worry for me why I got into all that at the start arguably crazy crazy to do that now to drop a minute on that at the start but anyway look we'll get our skates on as I say this episode is about whales I think the way that whales sounds in a cork accent is very patronizing whales and it's sad because I don't mean to be patronising at all. I love the Welsh. I was going to say I love those little guys. But sure, again, that would be patronising. But anyway, Wales, come on, Ty. Get on with it. Get on with it. Wales. So, Wales. Historically, my friends, I'm just going to give you the background as if you don't know anything. I assume you're like me. You're on Wikipedia. You're looking at YouTube videos. You do a bit of reading when you can. But you essentially don't know what's going on, right? So, historically, support for independence in Wales It's not like Scotland at all, really. Now, there's an awful lot of reasons for that. There's a plethora, and my wonderful guest will go into some of those reasons. But for now, we'll just say that pre-Brexit, historically, support for independence in around 15% or less, okay? Nothing like the consistent support for independence in Scotland, which since 1998 has never been below 40%, right? So I just pulled that stat out for you there now, right? And that actually is reliable because I actually looked that up. 15%, as I say... But after Brexit, more than doubled, right? By 2019-2020, the stats are coming in around 32%. A popular movement has emerged in Wales with a group called Yes Cymru. I'd highly recommend you checking them out online. They don't represent any political party. They just represent, arguably, the voice of an ever-growing number of ordinary Welsh people. Now, you might say, Ty, cop yourself on. Sure, 32% is not enough to feckin' trigger a referendum let alone win one and you're right up to a point what may happen if scotland were to go independent i remind you five to six on in the bookies then support for independence in wales improves and increases dramatically on that basis not to mention if they're able to gain access to the eu that figure again rises and you're looking at maybe potentially over 50 percent now I'm engaged in speculation here. I mean, everyone is. Everything I'm reading is like, this is what may happen. Nobody knows for sure. But I do think it's worth noting that this thing is now real. I mean, also the Plaid Cymru, and again, I assume you don't know anything. They're like effectively the kind of... the Scottish Nationalist Party you know they're the kind of independence party in Wales and their leader Adam Price who's a a very impressive individual has kind of mentioned that like this time 10 years ago this is kind of where the SNP were in terms of support now what Plaid have up against them that the other like the SNP don't have is they have a really really strong Labour the Labour leader and First Minister Mark Drakeford has come out of Covid looking really good he's handled it really well there's a vibe in Wales that they kind of know what they're doing a lot better than Westminster do shocker the thing about a strong devolved government as well is that yes it strengthens 
Labour's position, yes, it's like this is kind of working, but I think it also traditionally has been an impetus for a growth in independence movements because it's like, well, we can do this on our own. Why can't we do everything on our own, right? So we might get into that later as well. So that's worth noting. But this thing is on anyway, basically. There's a commission on right now, co-chaired by Professor Laura McAllister, alongside, you might remember this guy, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. Do you remember him giving Richard Dawkins hell, if you pardon the pun, in the uh, debates on YouTube? Well, they're chairing a commission on how, and effectively how Wales should be ruled because everyone kind of agrees that the union doesn't work at the moment and on the table for that commission everyone by the way everyone's participating in that even the Welsh Conservatives so guys that's a bit of the background we'll get to some Welsh pro-union arguments after you hear from my guest but Simon Jenkins writing in the Guardian has just made the point that the onus is on the unionists or the Conservatives to make the argument for why it works without just using the usual scare tactics we'll get into those later Ah, introduce the guest by, will ya? All right, all right. Just before I do, just a quick little history point, actually, that Wales was formally incorporated into the English state in 1536 by Henry VIII, who immediately waged war on the Welsh language, which ultimately was unsuccessful because in June 2020, the census revealed that 28.5% of people in Wales can speak Welsh. No one represents this beautiful retainment of the Welsh language more than my guest. In fact, she also puts many Irish people to shame with her understanding and love of the Irish language. I am, of course, speaking about Liz Savile-Roberts. She is applied Cymru MP. She is a consistent voter for inclusive and progressive policies. This is a really interesting thing about politicians in the UK. You can literally just throw their name into Google or specifically theyworkforyou.com. And you will be able to find out how they voted. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't seen a similar tool for Irish politicians. I think it'd be well worth getting that going, guys, if anyone's out there um, interested in developing that kind of a site. Ficking free ideas for new websites and all in this podcast. Like, oh my God, what a bonanza. And to go back to the Irish for a second, if you don't know, she was the first politician to address the UK House of Commons in Irish for over 100 years. If you haven't seen that, it is well worth checking out on YouTube or on Liz Savile Roberts' social media. I'm going to shut my trap now and let somebody who knows what they're talking about have a go. We talk, amongst other things, about how the union has failed Wales, the rich and beautiful connections between Ireland and Wales, her enthusiastic, exciting vision for a new Wales, and yeah, absolute delight to deal with. What more can I say to you, but enjoy yourselves. When you got a special place in Irish hearts generally was when you were the first politician to address the UK House of Commons in Irish for over 100 years. Can you tell us about that and why Welsh and Irish uh, language is so important to you? Well, a little bit about, but a tiny bit about my background. I, I, I'm actually from South East London, but I've lived in Wales way most of my life, way more than I lived in London. And I, I studied Welsh and Irish in Aberystwyth. And the opportunity came up in Westminster to speak on behalf of Cúman the Gaelige in support of the Ach na Gaelige, the Irish Language Act. And of course, what actually it was is, is people had spoken in, in Westminster before in, in, in the chamber in the House of the Parliament, but it hadn't been recorded by Hansard. So this was the first occasion it's ever been recorded by, by Hansard. And I think what's always mattered to me, I mean, I, I learned both languages. I started learning both languages when I was 18. And my family now are entirely Welsh-speaking and married. Um, my husband, Dewey, is from Blaine FST Mjogan. His English, uh, he will not mind me saying, is um, 
a little idiosyncratic. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I learned Irish, although I, I cannot speak Irish in the way that I can speak Welsh. I just don't practice it so much. But I think the thing about learning another language and having come at it from being monolingual in English before that is that the way through another language opens up another world to you. You know, it enriches your life so much. And people talk about it being a heritage thing. It isn't just heritage. Again, for, for me, this is this girl from Southeast London. It's becoming part of a community which you don't see if you are only monolingual English because you only see the world through the eyes of speaking English. But being bilingual and you know, picking up bits of other languages, I speak a bit of French, speak a tiny bit, tiny, tiny, tiny bit of Russian. Um, it just, it, you, you make friends almost without trying. And I think that that, that is the thing to get across to people. You just, with every bit of every language you gain, you just gain something else into your world. And you know, that, that partly is what I want to get across. And, and, and very much with, with Achna Gaelicir, I was invited to Belfast to speak to the Irish Language Centre on the Falls Road. And it was just the sheer excitement of having language. And it, it does cut across communities. And that's, that's one of the things we actually had to really, really work on, that it doesn't get, just get to be assumed to be belonging to one community. Whoever engages with any language, you just enrich yourself and you just open doors for yourself. Yeah. So that's really the, the, the personal, the personal part to it. Um, it does interest me with Westminster. As soon as you open, I, 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 I gave, I addressed the world. I wish the world a happy St. Patrick's Day in Irish this year on St. Patrick's Day in yeah, Wales yeah. questions. And the speaker went into a panic. And it was pretty obvious that I wasn't saying anything that was going to offend or frighten anybody. But the first response is, oh, my God, she's not speaking English again. Um, it doesn't sound like normal French. We probably better be a bit careful here. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, except for occasionally when we, we're, when being Plaid Cymru, we do like to quote poetry sometimes out of a sort of a romantic attachment to poetry. But we're not actually trying to be unpleasant to anybody here. Mm. And it's the pushback you get, the sudden <gasps> panic that they're saying something and we don't know what they're saying. Um, it doesn't really do Westminster any favours. And when you can still go on like la reine, le vert, or however you're supposed to say the normal French stuff, you know, it's pretty daft, isn't it? You obviously have a special interest in Ireland. And I just wondered, do you think that the Leavers and Tories simply forgot about the north of Ireland when they pulled the trigger on Brexit? Or was it was there actually something more calculated going on where it was an opportunity to finally get rid of the kind of troublesome statelet. What's your own view on that? My own view, very simply, is they absolutely forgot about it. Mm. Um, my colleague, Stefan Lewis, who was a, a Senate member, um, we lost him at a very young age. He was very astute. And he said the day after the 2000s, Geoffrey Donaldson was saying in the Irish, Irish Times recently, something about where people live and their identities get it's going to play out very interestingly but of course how what happens in the north of ireland plays out for you you know in ireland on the island of ireland how that then plays out with the next referendum in scotland that looks to be in about this time or 2023 two years off uh, and then that, how that plays off for, for for wales and england is going to be it's going to be really interesting because we're all it, this is all you know what direction this will take is not entirely sure but we're on a track for something to change. Yes. I talked to Irish Republicans who wouldn't admit that Brexit, there was a part of 
Brexit surely was a good thing because it furthers the, the Irish Republican ambition because they focus on the horrors of Brexit and affecting people's lives and businesses. But would you maybe admit that it was ultimately a good thing for Plaid's agenda? Oh, it, you have to work in two ways. If you ask me to speak from my heart, it's a disaster. It seems yeah, to be something that has, that has done. Um, it's just so sad for me, for Wales. I mean, I'm very fortunate in representing a constituency in a county. And in fact, all the constituencies that are represented by Plaid Cymru uh, voted to remain. So that's it. Those, mm. those in Westminster, they voted to remain, uh, and which we campaigned for. Um, but just to see this um, resurgence of Britishness, which is a resurgence of Englishness, yes. and how Wales is caught, has been caught up with that way of viewing the world, that 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 strikes me hard. That that to me is a tragedy. And I can see it because we actually have a, a really rational argument now that you know, if as an individual who lives in Wales, you would aspire to be being a European, to being back within that big political body, that big political union, then as things stand, although there's stage after stage after the stage, but the first logical stage for us to take, the first logical step for us to take is independence for Wales and then the application if Wales, if the people of Wales so desired, then we would then own that decision ourselves. And we wouldn't be this annex of this larger union that we have with England, where we are always the tiny body. I mean, we're presently the, the 40 MPs alongside the 533 English MPs. You can see where democracy lands you with the tyranny of the majority, if you like, depending on which point of view you're starting, starting from, but you can see where that lands as our Wales. So if Wales wants that voice, that autonomy of deciding our own futures, then that was the first logical step. And of course, you saw the support for Welsh independence, and there was this fantastic burgeoning of support for the movement, yes, Cymru, um, all before mm -hmm. COVID closed us down last year. But you really saw people switching on to, actually, politics is how we run our lives and how we manage our interactions with our fellow human beings. It's not a spectator sport. It's not something that's fun and games for Boris Johnson to make his career out of it. Just as people switched on in the run up to the Scottish referendum in 2014, you could see that happening here as well. Mark Drakeford, Labour leader, First Minister of Wales, just for our listeners, has said the ideal scenario is a strong Wales within a strong United Kingdom. But far from, from strong is the United Kingdom's days numbered. And as well, that's connected, and I know it's a big question, but in whatever you'd say on how the union has, has failed Wales. If the union has failed Wales, how has it done so? Okay, well, Mark Drakeford all is very much aware that, that the union is fragile, that things aren't holding as, 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 as they are. And he's also aware that the way that this, the government in Westminster, now, when the United Kingdom left the EU, there were certain powers that should automatically have come straight back to Wales. One of the major ones, of course, is state aid. If you're mm. a government, you know, that, that's, that, that's quite contributes to how, how you can affect the well-being of people in your country and the economy. Um, and through the uh, UK Internal Market Bill, and then we're seeing it now through the Subsidy Control Bill, Westminster have taken that back. So he's very alert to the fact that the powers that he should have as the First Minister of Wales are now being actively taken away from him by, by Westminster. Mm. So he is, and they are, they've been given um, right to move ahead to take a court action against the Westminster government on this. Now, they were refused earlier in the year, but now they've been given the power to do that. Now, that sits quite difficult for a unionist party like the Labour Party. 
But at the same time, if you actually, if you aspire to be the leader of the government in a parliament for your own nation, and you're seeing your powers being taken away from you hand over fist by the government in Westminster, you have to do something about it, or you really you'd lose all credibility with yourself, let alone anybody else. So he and Labour are in quite a difficult conversation as to about well, what would the um, form actually be, and they'll talk about um, federation, which is radical federal arrangement, which is a nice series of words to put together with a very attractive adjective in, in, in radical, but it doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> so, you know, um, what would that mean in legislative? I mean, just to come back, Wales, we are the only uh, legislative body in the world that doesn't have legal jurisdiction. Now, there's a certain anomaly there if you're actually trying to put your laws into effect. So Mark Drakeford is looking at this now that we are anticipating a constitutional commission which is probably not words that make people's hearts leap. But if you're actually talking about the, the powers that we need, and obviously for Plaid Cymru, it's really important for us that independence is one of the powers that will be considered by that constitution. So that will be something that we will, we will be pushing for. And what independence actually means, you know, the models of independence. If you look at how independence in Ireland since 1922, over the last century, has evolved you know, stage by stage by stage, mm exactly the same discussion and the same awareness we need to have in Wales and Wales as well. But I mean, just to come back to to why this ill, you know, why the present arrangement ill, Ill serves Wales. I mentioned earlier on the fact that you've got this the structural um, imbalance in actually how decisions are made in the England, England and Wales arrangement. Now, to go back in the day, um, actually very near Vron Gogh, which may be a name that rings true for some people mm. who might be listening to this, um, there is a reservoir called Trewerin. And back in the 60s, it was decided that that would be drowned in order to provide a, a great supply of water for Liverpool. Now, there was not a single Welsh MP at the time who voted in favour of it, but it still walked through Westminster. And the result of that was that one of the a very Welsh speaking village, in fact, the place where my first um, parliamentary agent, uh, electoral agent came from, was drowned in order to create this reservoir. And that that back in back in the 60s was a real driver for Plaid Cymru and for this this sense that we need we need our own parliament and how the, what that grows into independence. But back to the present day, the, the way that we get funded, we're funded on a population per head of population um, formula called the Barnett formula, mm. which means that what isn't devolved, uh, what is devolved in England, the budget in England, we get 5% of it in Wales, which is the population. Um, we don't for everything. There is massive spend on rail infrastructure for a new rail route down the, the spine of England. Uh, there's been massive spend on rail infrastructure in London. And for some reason or other, the formula decides that that benefits Wales. So we don't get that for our rail infrastructure here. And um, just looking at the, the fact that the population here, we have an older population and uh, we don't, there's no reflection of that and the way, you know, that pensions uh, are accounted for. So, but just to give you a, you know, sort of a historical mm. and, 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 and a more recent take on, on, on that. Um, so the, these are the, you know, you, you're sort of looking at the, the structural imbalances is being baked in. Uh, we're going to get even fewer Welsh MPs. We're going down from 40 to 32. So what voice we had is getting thinner. And of course, we have a government that is in, in Westminster with the Tories under Johnson who are determined to centralise power as best they can and regard devolution. Johnson has been, is on record as regarding devolution as a disaster. So, mm. you know, we're, we're, we're coming into a time of, of 
high focus as to really what do we want in Wales? Do we want to be a, a holiday leisure adjunct for people to entertain themselves in England? Or do we really want to take control, take back control, if you like, <laughs> to, to steal a, a catchphrase? Um, you know, what does that mean? And do we want it? I do. <laughs> Yeah, so in Ireland, conversations around unity, there's usually a conversation stopper of we can't afford it, this idea that we can't afford to uh, take in the North, which I know is, is in itself an offensive kind of idea that you're just subsuming one jurisdiction into the other. But I feel like the conversation stopper with Wales is that it's too small, the country or its population is too small. You, you hear that a lot. Would you have anything to say to our listeners on that? And of course, haven't they always said it? Mm. I think they didn't actually tell India they were too small, because that would have been a bit <laughs> obviously wrong. But they did tell India they couldn't afford independence. Mm. And they told Malta the same thing. It's, it's, that's the first line protocol that you always get. Now, of course, there's always a challenge for, you know, well, there's a challenge per se with economics for any nation state. But the way that we're regarded as being the, the fiscal deficit, the way that that's regarded, when I mean, you first got to take into account that everything that's pended, that, that's spent on defence, everything that is spent on on foreign aid, um, or, the, or foreign spend per se, that's all factored into Wales as well. Whereas, if, you know, as our own nation, we would be spending, choosing how we spend. I can't, cannot imagine. I would hope that we would not be spending anything on the same grounds. On, 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 on defence, for example. Mm. Um, there are interesting factors also about if you're looking at where GDP is produced, um, actually where people are effectively taxed. So when we're told that our tax take is low in Wales, you've often got companies and businesses that are based in England who are being recorded there than being recorded here. At present, the, the England and Wales model makes it very difficult for us to tease out exactly what is being collected where again i mentioned pensions earlier on we we have an older demographic we have a pattern whereby people move from england they retire here so we carry that pension deficit if you like here and that's certainly something that would need to be discussed as to how how to deal with it in future but the big step back is that when you do take your shape as a nation then you start planning your economy for yourself i mean we're a, we're a net exporter of electricity we generate more than we use. We export our water. We have no control actually on how much we pay over that. We have strong natural resources, which we could use if we were focusing on use on, on how they were of an economic benefit to communities here rather than to so the, the England and Wales units as we stand at present. You could start measuring in a different way. So there is a job of work to prove here, but there's some very easy points. First of all, you know, we haven't actually been measuring how much is, is generated in Wales effectively. And how do we, how we then would use that in future is something, you know, again, there are debates to be had about it. I'm sure we in Ireland, this was exactly the same sort of conversations but would, would have been going back in, in, the, in the 1920s, probably went on long, long into the 80s. I think I know of people who would still have the same conversation now, possibly in Ireland. Um, but we need to be very alert that it's something that's been, it's, every nation that seeks its independence from the British Empire has had the same charge thrown at it. And the vast majority of them have found their, well, if not all of them, have found their way through very mm. effectively. It would be a challenge for Wales, but it would be a challenge then, then 
it would be for us discussing ourselves. And one of the big things for me personally, just let me finish on this, is actually that we always have this charge that we're, oh, we're, we're always going cap in hand asking for more money. Give us the chance to do it. And we don't need to be asking more money then, that we can do it ourselves. You know, so you can't, the British state can't have it both ways, that we're just sadly dependent on them when we can't afford to do otherwise. Just, you know, give us the chance to work it out for ourselves. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but say in 10 and maybe also 20 years time, how do these islands look constitutionally? Is a union of Celtic nations a possibility, for instance? I would have, you know, where I'm sitting here, I'm in a village called Morvenevin, and I'm very near a little port called Port in Thine. Port in Thine from here was in direct competition with Holyhead for the Irish Post. We lost. Wow. <laughs> Holyhead got it. But the nearest capital city to me here isn't Cardiff, certainly isn't London, it's Dublin. Wow. Yeah? Now, actually, there are, there are Irish place names on this peninsula, the Clean Peninsula, and the Clean Peninsula shares its name with the Lane in Leinster. There used to be Irish people. There are Irish farm names here. So we have these old connections. We used to be more connected by sea with Ireland than we ever were with London. So there really is, I think, as a, an aspiration of, that we could work together. You know, we have the interest. There's so much in our our cultural heritage that is similar. There's so much in our our affection for language, for Welsh, for Irish, Cornish, uh, Gallagher and Halliburton. Uh, Lidelweg, Brejoneg, trying to go through my languages in the right language here. I'm failing, actually. I'm going into Welsh. Um, that could be to be looking west and to be looking to, to build each other up and to work together rather than this culture of dependency, which the British state. Do you think Scotland will become independent? And do you think Ireland will be unified in, say, 20 years' time? Yeah. Scotland has everything going in the right direction. It also has, remember, to compare to Wales, it also has so many more institutions than Wales has historically. I mean, they do have mm. a separate jurisdiction. That's just something to say. I know that that's one of the things that people do say to me. Is why is Wales so far behind Scotland? Wales has the, Scotland has the institutions in place. I believe that they, they have the argument, and with this government in power in Westminster, they have the incentive from outside as well to take the steps that would lead them to independence. I think that the nature of the context, of the contents of the Northern Ireland Protocol means that something substantial, it's already different, it's already operating, the North is already operating in a different way to the rest of the United Kingdom as things stand. I cannot see, and it's interesting what Joe Biden is saying as well, that, that anything other than there will be a, a very different separate arrangement for the North. Then uh, the question remains for Wales. And I think it's interesting that, that Labour in Wales, our leadership, the, obviously Plaid leadership, but also the leadership in, in Welsh government are seeing you can't sit on the fence forever or you're just going to get, you know, the powers are pulling us apart, whatever. Do you want to govern those or do you want to be governed from afar? And we haven't been governed well from afar. Does Boris Johnson give a shit about Wales? Does Boris Johnson care about anybody but <laughs> Boris Johnson? Yeah. yeah. He'll say he cares about the union. And when we know this, this set of Tory grandees forgot about the north of Ireland when it came to the mm. 2016 referendum, Boris Johnson's audience is always either the English north or the English home counties, and he flips between them both and he can't keep them both happy either. But that's who he's talking to. 
the rest of us are collateral, collateral damage. And again, I think the sooner that people realize he's an entirely different uh, politician to Theresa May. He will do what is convenient in the short term. Um, the long term can go high. And like you, you've actually touched on this already, but if Westminster is the ma'am or the mother, we say ma'am here in Cork, has Scotland yeah. always been the favourite child? So is, is does Boris have one eye on Scotland and then if Scotland goes, the rest of it can just go to pot and English nationalism yeah. will take over? Well, Scotland has been, the, the, the Tories use Scotland to frighten their own fan base. They did yes. this back in 2015 election when they had this picture of Ed Miliband, the Labour leader, leader in, in the pocket of Alex Salmond at the time. And they um, demonify um, Nicola Sturgeon as well because it, it works with their own fan base. Of course, Scotland, see, Scotland only came, the Acts of Union in Scotland were so much later, 200 years later than the Acts of Union of Wales. So Wales has been annexed into England since the mid 16th century, 1535. And we've been part of you know, our, our legislation, our legislature, our, our court structures, um, even the church, you know, the, church the, the Church of England was the church of Wales mm. until the Church in Wales under until you know back a hundred years ago or so. So we have a much longer disentanglement, if you like. But this is this is why, because Scotland has its own structures, that, that they are so much in a stronger position to make the most of the um the, the program of devolution that was allowed to them, the measures of devolution that were allowed them to them, they could they could do so much more with them than, than we were to do able to do back in nineteen ninety-nine. But we have grown those powers. Whenever the people of Wales have been given the option to vote, do you want more powers for the for your assembly than the Senate? Yes, they do. Yeah, this is a one-way track. Every valve we go through, it closes behind us. This is the track that we're on. Scotland is the inspiration, although of course people do pick up on this way that the Tories use Scotland as being you know, how dare they do this to poor little England. There is that thing. Do do we want to get subsumed in? Boris Johnson's um, jingoistic, you know, flag waving, the English nationalism that hides the Brit behind the Brit nap rhetoric. I, it, you're talking about losing identity and losing the values. I think many, many people in Wales hold dear to. So again, there is a wake up time here now. So the final thing I'd ask you, and I, I've obviously had a look at the way in which you've voted on, on on everything and it's it's against military action it's against and it's for i should say supporting minorities and people who are usually pushed to the side it's, it's the same in ireland but i suppose just to finish i'd love for you to give our listeners a sense of your vision of of wales and presumably an independent wales but your vision of a of a more fair wales in the future beyond the union and certainly beyond the brexit shambles Oh, yes. Well, I mean, one of the things that's, that is important to me, too, is because if you look at my pedigree, I, I am English through and through. My, my family are from south the south of England. But being Welsh is because you've chosen to live here. It doesn't matter what your, mm. your colour is, your language is, your background. If you've chosen to make this your home and to in, invest your life and your energy and your creativity in this, this fantastic country where we you know, our communities do look after each other, We've still got those connections. You'll, you'll, the first conversation you'll have with somebody in Welsh, particularly in Welsh, but it's, it's not just in Welsh, it's in English as well. You'll do this 
or who are you related to? And, and you're <laughs> trying Same to, here. <laughs> yeah, and you're, and you're finding this common ground straight away. You're looking for common ground. It's not not trying to score points. Um, that we have that confidence that we're confident in our bilingualism because that's part of it. And it doesn't mean that you you can sort of roll off some classical Welsh poetry with spontaneously. It means maybe to be able to say hello or a few phrases. It, you know, but that, that that belongs to everybody, and it's it's a divider. It's a unite. It's a uniter, not a divider. It's not a dividing thing. Um, that we have our connections. That we don't fall for this thing where you know, people are being told, "Oh, it all goes to Cardiff." You know, no, it doesn't. We have our connections. We, the north and south matters more. That we're more connected along that than the way that we've always been drawn out to Manchester and Liverpool and London. Um, that we're then looking for our place in the world, and that our influence. We, we, we're not a Although we, we'll have many connections, say, historically with the armed forces, that we're not an aggressor, yeah? That we would be looking to prioritise how do we build peace rather than how we make, make war. But you've got that great tradition across, certainly, the, 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 the left, the political left in Wales. is a, a common tradition of that. And that then we could be adding our voice to that of the world, and very much in a way that Ireland is perceived. I mean, if people tell me that if you have an Irish passport, you can go everywhere. And everybody welcomes you. That's not the same with a British passport. Now, I would love it if we had a Welsh passport and you could go everywhere. You could go to the Welsh community in, in, in Argentina. You could go the world over. And that that passport meant that you came as one of those people who was looking to build communities that appreciated everything that minorities and minority languages bring. And that was actually looking to be one of those, the, the peacemaking nations of the world. Now, that would be fantastic. That was Liz Savin Roberts, guys. As I say, I would urge you to check her out. Check her out, like, you know, it's, it's not like this new breakthrough comedian, like I'm kind of pitching here, like, as opposed to an, an eminent, well-thought-of politician. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? Go to her social media. I tell you, that that enthusiasm for independence, I, well, I certainly found it kind of infectious anyway. And look, guys, you know, we can't just leave it at that. Like, it's not a puff piece for plight. Like, I can't just do that. I want to represent the opposing views as well. I tried to secure a Welsh Conservative or Welsh Unionist voice for this podcast. Oh boy, did I try. I chucked out I don't know how many emails. I had some really good people chasing down for me that didn't want to talk to me. I need to take that on the chin. I understand their reasons up to a point, but it is a pity. Anyway, I'm still going to present their views. Now, I suppose I'm going to straw man it a little bit in the first instance because I'm going to go back to that Simon Jenkins article in The Guardian. He's kind of talking about the fact that Welsh Unionists need to move beyond the usual scare tactics, which he kind of summarises as big governments are better than small governments. In other words, you're too small to make it on your own, guys. Sorry about that. And borders will be bad for you. Right, And then he very cleverly uh, makes the point that the Tories denied both arguments in championing Brexit. So the Westminster argument is kind of, it's okay for us to break through and do it on our own, but then it's not okay for Wales and Scotland. Do you know what I mean? I just think it's a really interesting um, argument from Jenkins. Jenkins will be buzzing now to get that endorsement from me, I'd say. That was the one thing his career was lacking. 
And again, then when I looked at a lot of the cons, there's like in the short to middle term, there's fears for the economy. If Wales goes independent, again, similarly to Scotland, it is a dependent state on Westminster at the moment. Now, again, I, I suppose people pro-independence would say, well, that's the whole structure of the union. That's the whole unfair nature of how the union is run is to blame there. But the stats right now indicate that Wales would struggle right now economically on its own. They would have a lower standard of living. And again, that travel, work and trade with other parts of the UK, especially if England is out of Europe and Wales ultimately wants to get back into Europe, then again, we're talking about the hard borders from the Scottish argument. But again, like, you know, and I'm repeating myself here now, but all those arguments, when you look at them, they're all based on fear. If you go, bad shit will happen. I really don't want to be flippant when I use the analogy of a kind of a toxic, potentially abusive relationship, but it does feel a bit like that, doesn't it? Where it's kind of like, don't leave me because if you do, you won't have access to the joint account and you're just going to fall apart on your own as opposed to any kind of enticing, compelling arguments why you should stay. Like, if there's a Welsh unionist out there, that wants to present a hopeful, strong proposal about why the union works, something akin to what Liz Savile-Roberts just did for why the union doesn't work. I'd love to hear it. I haven't come across it. I'd love to talk to you. Sure, look, you probably won't talk to me at all. You're ignoring me for ages. And I don't know why. I mean, I didn't even do a wacky Welsh accent. I mean, the Scottish people have every right to be peed off at me, but I don't know what your problem is with me. So... That's it, my friends. I want to sincerely thank Liz Savile-Roberts. I want to thank you very, very much for listening. Would you ever come back to me next time till I tell you about a separatist movement on these islands that I'd say some of you mightn't have even heard of? And I'm not being nasty there now. I'm not having a pop. It's just that I certainly hadn't heard of it until I started this process. So I don't want to fall out with you right at the end. And just, yeah, a very just final goodbye. And thank you particularly to the Welsh. And I won't humiliate you or myself by attempting your accent. Oh, your lovely accent, Todd. Very bright. Oh, it's very bright in here. Can you turn the lights down? Oh, no. Bet you wish you were here.